Hello everyone, and as you can tell, this is a home edition of Locked On Guardians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis. It is a day late. It means you'll get two in a row. Remember, this is the off-season, so we are doing threes. I figured it was better to just wait a day, give you a Tuesday one with the uh, full audio experience. Before we dive in more, though, I want to thank you for making Locked On Guardians your first listen today and every day, free and available on all podcasting platforms, apps, wherever you podcast, you can find Locked On Guardians for free. What are we going to talk about on today's show? Well, I thought we'd do some mailbag. I know we have to get into the draft stuff. As promised, we will get there. I mean, draft is going to be a big component, especially with uh, the lockout going as it is. I expect more and more people are going to be interested in college baseball, maybe more so than ever. So let's just do a mailbag show. It's a way for me to start easing back into it. In terms of my father, quick update. Signs of improvement every day. Uh, you know, he got, uh, he's out of the hospital. He's at a skilled nursing facility. Uh, and within 30 minutes of getting there, he of course fell down. Uh, but he was fine. Just trying to do too much, but, uh, he was excited to try and watch the Browns. He thought he had to, you know, not necessarily. I never thought he would be that big of a fan of, uh, checking out Ben Roethlisberger's last game, but he likes to check out lasts, you know, <laughs> it's like the last chance to see him. At home, we wanted to see that. So that was the last thing I heard uh, from him when I talked to him uh, or heard through others because, once again, the skilled nursing can sometimes be hard if I am not able to be in the state. So that is the update on my father. I get a lot of comments on Twitter or questions, so I just wanted to continue the updating there. Uh, Now that I've gotten that out of the way, let's dive into the, uh, you know, your questions. Let's start with Cleveland Guardians fan at Seattle BB. Can you break down Steve Kwan more? What's his ceiling? What's his floor? Floor is quad A. I mean, his floor is he doesn't turn into anything. If his ceiling, I would say maybe like a three-win player. You know, not just a good starter, but a slight above-average starter. Maybe more like two and a half. You know, there are going to be major limitations in his game. Just because he doesn't really have... I know he had the extra base hits this year, so I know people will be like, well, you can't say he doesn't have power. And I always say, don't just jump up and assume... You know, uh, size equates power because for a long time, boy, that felt like uh, what everyone seemed to think was that size equated power. Uh, but Jose Ramirez should have taught us one thing that that is not always the case. And, you know, Quan did have 12 home runs this past year, over 70 games. He had a good rate there. Uh, what you're mostly looking at, though, is, I mean, he walked almost as much as he struck out. Uh, let's see, over the course of well, 36 walks, 30, he should walk more than he struck out this past year. Uh, good rates at both of those. You're happy with what he does there. You're happy with, you know, the, the, the bat to ball. I, that's the thing. Like, okay. So <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of surprised I haven't gotten as much negative Ty Freeman feedback as I expected after the, the shows last week. But when we talk about like Ty Freeman having one skill and then not doing too much else, that that's not Steve Kwan. That's why I'm kind of a little bit higher on him. That's why I think he could be a three-win guy. Maybe a guy who ends up popping a four-win year, because uh, it's just a complete profile. He does a little bit of everything, uh, and sometimes when you're smaller, it's advantageous, right? It's a smaller strike zone. It's harder to find the weak spot in the zone. You know, t- uh, guys like him can sometimes benefit in a myriad of ways. So, yeah, I think there's a chance for him to be a starter. Absolutely. I think there's a chance for him to be an above-average starter. The more time I spend on Steve Kwan, the more I like him. That's just the truth of it. And I don't know how you couldn't just purely based on numbers. 
Uh, at Alton Jr. 11, uh, Alton, again, the one who told us, uh, came up with the idea that was very well received of the, you know, prospect failures and misses. Uh, with, you know, so his question is, Rokio is clearly the shortstop of the future in my eyes. So if Arias is not in the long-term plans, it would be prudent to trade him while he's still in AAA producing to mitigate the risk of not receiving top value in a trade. Yes, if you don't think that he is the shortstop of the future, then... You know, you're probably selling high at this point. His valuation, I think, has gone up. Uh, I think he's, you know, I, I got into a debate recently on one of the few moments I was on Twitter in the past week where I didn't realize that essentially in some places he is almost now viewed as a universal top 100 prospect. That was certainly not the case when he came to Cleveland. Uh, there are people who think he's just not going to work, who do not love the swing from what I am under- understand. And then there are those who... You know, like myself, are you know very high on the production relative to level. When you're looking at not production relative to level, production relative to age, and the like. I mean, I still like him as the shortstop. Uh, you know, I understand. Like I said, Rokio and Arias are both going to be probably top four for me in the system. I really need to sit down and and figure out for sure. But you, you can't go wrong with either prospect. And if you can get... I guess it comes out of this, though. With Arias. What's he going to net you? Like, legitimately, what's he going to get you? As opposed to, he could help this team next year as a hitter. So that's where I kind of waffle, right? Like, especially... I mean, for me, it's more like... Trade Rosario. You know, <laughs> some of those trades I've talked about in the past, potentially. Uh, trade Rosario and have... Arias at short. Heck, with his arm, he could play any spot in the outfield, and he's athletic enough to figure it out. Uh, some of these infielders, I mean, maybe it's, you know, Arias, I think, is, has the higher ceiling. Uh, so maybe you let him stay at shortstop and you move Rokio around. Uh, both players could play anywhere, and the athletic profile. Like, I just don't want to trade him unless I'm pretty sure that I'm going to get someone who can produce better than him. Because if I'm trading him for, like, an outfielder, I want it to be for sure someone who's going to give me at least what the production is there that we'd lose. Uh, Alton follows that up with, would trading Rosario and bringing in Arias up be, sorry, it's the second time there, uh, and would be too uh, be too much like bringing Jose to play shortstop with Lindor, nipping at his heels in AAA. It seems to me that didn't work well for the developmental strategy and it'll cause Arias' trade value to take a hit. Um, so... Uh, what I view this, the thing with Jose, Jose Ramirez actually did well in that situation. It was when they then took the position away from him to give it to Lindor. And there was also Jose, uh, the negative part with Jose's development was more, um, he wasn't putting in the time at that point. Like there were points where, I mean, he now puts in more time than anyone. Uh, but it, it seemed, I don't think, I think it's apples and oranges to compare those situations. And when it comes to someone like Arias, if you trade Rosario, you got a full year to see if this guy can be your shortstop. If he can be, like I believe, then great. Then you move Rokio to another position. You let him play second. You let him play third. You move him to the outfield. Either way, this way you get two guys with six years of team control to be above average bats. Uh, I mean, what are you going to, again, what would you net? Uh, Then he continues on with this question. Uh, Uh... isn't the question whether we are more likely to deal Arias slash Rosario largely going to be answered by what team we make a deal with rather than who we prefer to deal with? So 
I get the point here that, like, you know, if it's Pitt, Baltimore, Chicago, they likely lean Arias, Yankee, Cincy, and Arizona, Rosario. Uh, my statement to this is Cincinnati does not need a shortstop. Everyone keeps saying this. Jose Barrio had a pretty strong year. He's a really well thought of guy. Cincinnati isn't taking on Rosario. Like, that's one of those things. Yankees, yes, that makes sense. I just, I don't see Arizona buying onto a guy with two years of control at this point. And then for a team like the Cubs, uh, you know, I, I don't think, yeah, I mean, I still think they would rather go for someone a little bit further away. I know they just signed Stroman, but I think that's also just a the way it has worked out. I, I think a lot of this comes to, I don't, again, you're not trading Arias for, you know, Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras. That's that's not how this works right now. I just don't think there's a natural trade right now. When you look at the shortstop market, when you look at the teams that are out there, it's mostly teams looking for vets. And in terms of like, yeah, I mean, Baltimore could use a shortstop in their system. Uh, I've talked about this many times on the show. Like every year I'm kind of mystified by that for a team that uses as much analytics as they do, that they like do not draft and or like they don't have a legitimate shortstop prospect in the entire system. Uh yeah, there's a totally a world where you can make a deal. But I, I, again, I mean, unless you're getting Mullins, I can't see a deal that makes a ton of sense. Maybe a Trey Mancini deal. But again, with the way Arias has increased his value, you're not trading him. You know, these are two of the top five prospects in the Indians organization. Uh, top five prospects don't get traded often uh, anymore. You know, we saw a few this past deadline. But I, you know, I think that, and again, this Indians team in general... When do they trade prospects? Uh, it's when it's, you know, Mejia, who they wanted going out of town. Like, you know, other than that, they really haven't traded a top prospect for a while. So I just don't see it happening either way. We are going to pause here for our first commercial break. Come back and take more questions from you. And our first sponsor is my favorite. You know that means it's Built Bar. I haven't been to Built Bar. I've been on the road, right? You know, you've been hearing me do these ads as I've been doing these road shows. Let's see what's going on. Ruby chocolate is back right now. Lemon dip cheesecake is back. Uh, eggnog, caramel macchiato, caramel almond delight. I enjoy that one quite a bit. Coconut brownie chunk, coconut almond, and still a sale on gingerbread. I'd be tempted by that one. New arrivals all the time. Uh, the all new Crave bar is coming. I've tried Crave. This is coming in three hours. So if you're listening, it is arrived. I like the Crave bar quite a bit. I can recommend that. But I, I always want to point this out. Remember, if you get gingerbread, which is currently on sale, you sit there and you do that. It is instead uh, being twenty-seven bucks, it's twenty-four bucks. Then you can still use the promo code LOCK15 and save an additional fifteen percent. And once you put a few orders in, then you start building up your built box. So you'll get you know this sale plus fifteen percent off, plus like five bucks off, and the savings just roll in. It is a great tasting bar that is good for you. Uh, low in sugars, low in calories, high in protein. Go to BuiltBar.com today. Remember to use that promo code LOCKED15. That's LOCKED15. There's a reason why I shop with Built Bar. Okay, we are back with more of your questions. So Quincy Wheeler, I saw, was over here. Quincy is always great for discussion. Let's see what Quincy is asking back on December 15th. What is your favorite version of the C the Cleveland baseball teams have adapted as their logo? Quincy, I hate to be this person, but I don't think I have one. I guess block, probably. I, you know, I've never been... Maybe this is why I didn't get all that upset or all that bothered. Like, I've never been a logo guy. It's the same way, like, I don't know if I could tell you anybody's number. That's never been my thing. Like, I, I don't have... You know, it's it's about, like, the end result. I almost don't even look at, like... 
I mean, I look at the uniform. I was happy when they made their change. Uh, I know it cost me some followers on Twitter whenever I state that, but that's just the case of the matter. I was happy to see that change occur. Yeah, I, I guess Bloxy, just because that's the one I can think of. It at least left some imprint in my mind. Um, if you had to pick between Jimenez, Arias, Jones, or Tenya is most likely to trade this offseason, which would you pick? Um, well, Jones, I still, I, the Indians, A, aren't going to trade low, and he had a down season, and he's hurt. Uh, they really like his power potential. Uh, power is the hardest thing to acquire. I mean, honestly, it is the hardest trait to acquire. Everyone is so low on Jones. I think it's, you know, is he one of my top three prospects right now? No. Um, but he's probably still going to be about fifth in the system. And I think a lot of people are just, he's a young kid. He had a down year. He got hurt. Uh, he played in a park that is known to mess with heads because it's a very poorly designed park. Don't, uh, Jones, no. Uh, Jimenez, you're selling low. So Arias or Tenya. I think at the end of the day, it's Tenya just because he's so blocked and you have so many players ahead of him and you're already burning through those option years for him right now. My favorite baseball book. Uh, you know, I did like, uh, you know, the only rules you have to win. I thought that was interesting. I think part of that was fun just because like me realizing one of my Twitter followers was their like baseball math guy in there. I was like, Oh, I know the same way. Like when the Yankees hired Matt Blake, I'm like, wait, I think he's a follower on Twitter. And I was right. You know, sometimes I don't pay enough attention. Uh, there's part of me that really enjoyed Moneyball. I know that's like something that maybe I shouldn't admit, but the the fact that they're sitting there, I love the draft. That should be no surprise to anyone who listens to the show and knows my work. I am a draft head. It was interesting that whole section on the draft, uh, with just you know the behind the scenes and the way the baseball draft is different, where they wanted certain players. Uh, I believe that's the that draft covered. You know, it's the year that Oakland had all those picks. I think that's the year the Indians took Guthrie. And you do get a little bit of info about that in there. So that's up there as well. Uh, you know, I, I remember enjoying reading, was it Shoeless Joe, the Ray Kinsella book that is the basis for Field of Dreams when I was in high school. Bang the Drum Slowly is like a short story I always enjoyed that was a, uh, a really good baseball read. Um, I'm sure there's other ones. Uh, there's some ones I've read my daughter, like... Why am I blanking on the one about the female African-American baseball player right now? We read that one a bunch. Um, and as a kid, I always liked all the various takes on um, Casey at the bat, but like more like the in-depth ones uh, where like good things happen. I never liked the sad things. Uh, so Quincy, I hope I answered uh, most of your questions there. No puppet, no puppet at Elvis like. By the way, Quincy Wheeler is at Quincy Wheeler 1. But uh, to go back, uh, dream trade scenario. Most devalued player on a team in need of farmhands equal trade partner. Uh, I already talked about it. I think Garrett Cooper is really interesting uh, just because when he has been there, I mean, the guy's performed. But if we're just talking about, like, you know, a team where there's a devalued asset where we're looking at a team that's, you know, like a Baltimore. We're looking for a low-end team. Maybe Anthony Santander. You know, he had the down year after the good year. Baltimore is a mess. There's a lot of reasons why uh, a player did not perform well. His his value is down. You know, he was one of those guys, too, where maybe we all overestimated him a little bit. He is 27 years of age. He has basically had one good year in that weird 2020 year. Uh, outside of that, he's been a below-league average bat and a below-average defender. 
you know, maybe getting him out of Baltimore could do wonders. And again, maybe he's just not that good. Um, he might be an interesting devalued asset. You know, if you're looking for an outfielder with some pop, he kind of stands out there. Uh, again, I don't think, like, you know, I could talk about the Mets again, but I don't think their team is really looking to add um, prospects. They're looking for help now. Uh, I, you know, Josh Bell always comes up. And I don't think he's devalued. If anything, I think his value is probably up compared to a year ago. But I think anything with him has to be, uh, you're hoping they're going to need some salary to make a deal like that happen. Man, the fact that Roster Resource has Alcides Escobar listed as the shortstop uh, for them is rather humorous for me at this point, that he is still in existence with the Washington Nationals. Uh, you know, I like Lane Thomas out there. I've liked him for a while. I don't know if he counts as devalued asset or not. Uh, trying to think any other organizations. want to pause and do a quick look around. You know, I just realized who it is. I didn't even look around. Mitch Keller. Mitch Keller was a really highly thought of kid, moved all the way through the minors. I had a good pitch mix, did a lot of things well, but never quite developed. I mean, he's a guy who's like a top 20 prospect in all of baseball. Uh, Pittsburgh's terrible at uh, arms. They just are. They are bad when it comes to pitchers. Uh, there's, a, there's a player, uh, Mitch Keller. I've talked about him before. Now, I know a starter isn't a huge need, but uh, that's at least an interesting player if we're going more top of my head. Also from No Puppet at Elvis underscore leg. While we're doing it, why not think about, uh, oh, you know, about starting pitching and systems differ from bullpen pitching, speed, spin rate, arm slot, pitch mix, attitude, projected bullpen versus projected starters. Uh, so, yes, there are organizations that uh, definitely have different approaches. You know, I, I remember talking with agents where there's certain data for high school and, and more for college kids where, like, they'll coach them up to talk to, like, the Indians or the Royals because they have very different approaches. So I think you'd have to kind of more go and look at, um, you know, and that's the other thing too, like I've talked about with that Royals team through the years that they, you know, they don't draft undersized arms. Like if you're not six foot four, you're not going to the Royals. That's just not how they operate. So there is those little interesting bits. There are some things you can definitely find. Uh, so yeah, that's as far as I can tell, that is what I had had in terms of my saved up uh, questions for the uh, mailbag. I did not ask for more yet, so uh, hopefully uh, I will send out a call, get a bit more, and start building up the mailbag yet again. But the mailbag is emptied out, so we're going to take our commercial break here, come back, and we're going to have uh, some more fun things to talk about for our third segment of the show. So what I want to start with here, I don't know if we'll have enough time to get into all of it, is Patrick Brennan. So I want to, at Painting Corner, he uh, used to write at Bang the Box Score, and he worked for the Reds. He's now director of analytics for Kansas State's uh, uh, baseball team. And, you know, he does a lot of really fascinating number stuff. And I just want to recommend going over there. And it's like he's trying to essentially quantify uh, development, like uh, what teams are doing well are getting the most, you know, finding ways to bounce across multiple levels. Uh, and it, there's some really interesting things in general with that. And he does a great job in a graph here just explaining, you know, why you need kind of the context of various levels. Because uh, he lists here like the, you know, the top 20 minor league seasons by run created plus from 2007 to 2021, minimum of 200 plate appearances. Now, these are just across level the greatest Runs created plus season effort. Joey Gallo in the Carolina League. Chris Bryant in the Southern League. Then you got Vincent Lupo 
at age 18 uh, in the Appalachian League. I, Vicente Lupo, uh, I was like, who? I mean, maybe I should know Vicente Lupo, uh, an outfielder who put up that massive season uh, down there. But when I was, you know, going through the data, going back and looking at it, I'm like, okay. Because he is now, he played in Italy in 2018. Uh, so that was his last foreign year. He never really got out of A-ball because he couldn't play well. Uh, you know, the 269 appearances that he had um, in low A, you know, that was phenomenal. But it's that that's why you kind of need that whole, you know, balancing of levels. At fourth best, Jared Godert in the South Atlantic League. Yes, former Indian. Then you have Giancarlo Stanton. Brian Sanchez, Vladimir Guerrero, Miguel Sano, Chris Parmalee. I think you get the point. Like some names you know, some names you do not know. But when we're just putting names in there, uh, you know, you're putting when you're not trying to balance it through, you know, the lens of um, of you know knowing that different levels matter and the like. That's something. Or how about like top twenty minor league seasons by FIP, Fielding Independent ERA. Or fit minus. Uh, so it's like Phil Maton had the second best one. Again, minimum 30 innings pitch. This is all relievers. Kyle Nelson, how about sixth best? I mean, this list is one where you go through. Eli Morgan uh, looks like just outside the top 10. But this list is actually not good. This list is not a lot of breakout names. But it's almost entirely relievers. Uh, so, the, you know, it, it's fun to look at that stuff or talk about... Um, when you now this is where it gets interesting when you kind of balance it out with the top 20 seasons look like you know in the here's the truth of the matter the way he's balancing it is kind of giving an uh i don't want to say arbitrary but you know give weighting significant more weight to higher level production uh all of a sudden you have darren ruff in the eastern league for philly who you know was a bit of a surprise player for the Giants this past year, I mean, he looked like a potential starter. I don't think he really ever got an opportunity with Philly. With the highest season, you know, Chris uh, Calabo is up there again, Matt Haig. Now, this is where you would eliminate, like, Haig and Calabo because they're 29. You, you know, Dan Johnson at age 30, okay. Uh, Clint Robinson, age 25. Chris Carter, remember him. Steven Souza, Adam Eaton. Jock Peterson, Nelson Cruz. Uh, you can go down, and again, you do get some of those guys you kind of eliminate by age, but it's also one of those where you go down this list, you're like, yeah, Ty France had shown enough. Scott Van Slyke, man, I had a lot of years where I really liked Scott Van Slyke. Pitching-wise, when you do the same thing, uh, you know, it, it's still the pitching list has its ups and downs. I gotta be honest, it's a lot harder to kind of uh, figure those out because, again, with the lower innings pitch threshold, so when you go through all this, and then he really gets into, really gets into it. Like, I mean, he's got, I want to make sure I have the time here, like minor league aging curve for hitters, minor league aging curve pitchers. It's really interesting to see. I mean, and then he gets into things that I don't know as well that I really have to dig into. But it is interesting to look at the overall rank uh, amongst hitter rank and pitcher rank in terms of expected outcome would you be surprised that the indians are fifth in hitters and 13th in pitchers and eighth overall uh, i thought that was when he's going through and taking all the data together now in fairness the indians minor league system is a lot more hitter heavy right now a lot more top prospects that way i mean top pitching prospects you know you got some names but 
Like, is Cody Morris and Daniel Spino, is there going to be anyone else who's really in that top 10 discussion? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, we'll have to see. What is interesting is, okay, so now, he, after that, he follows up by doing a three-year look at this. When you look at the three-year look, which isn't just last year, but an overall three-year look, all of a sudden Cleveland is 12th in hitters, 8th in pitchers, 8th overall. So they drop what, I think they said they were, no, they're 8th in the one year, 8th in the other one, though it f- almost flips their uh, pitching and hitting ranks. Colorado, bottom of both. Ooh, be thankful you aren't a Colorado fan. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see the idea, like I said, when we're just going through, and you can see hitting development trends by organization in here. You can go and you can highlight Cleveland. I really recommend this. Again, it's at Peting Corners, and it's his, his uh, saved link. Uh, again, I'm not shocked by his findings, uh, especially like that we see that over the course of a, f- of a few years, uh, pitching has really been what has made the Indians a top 10 developmental organization. And I'm not that shocked that like, you know, a three-year, because the problem with the three-year cycle right now is you kind of have that lost year, unless, you know, again, I, I should be reading deeper in the article. But even if you look at just the last three years, they've, they've already had a lot of those guys uh, graduate. And, it, you know, Logan T. Allen, I just realized, yes, there's someone out there shouting at me, I forgot Logan Allen the Younger. Yeah, there's three really kind of interesting cream of the cop arms for the Indians. Uh, and, and then nice depth throughout. But the top prospects, the interesting guys, are almost exclusively bats for Cleveland. Uh, so that should be no surprise. But then again, at the same time, in terms of high-level production over the past few years, uh, the hitting has been weak. I mean, the, the minor leagues have been a bit weak. They traded away, promoted, they did everything they could to uh, kind of keep their window open as much as they could. They were never quite willing to sell it all, though. You know, there were many points where I was fine with trading Nolan Jones or Brian Rocchio. A lot of those guys, especially in the lower minors, if I thought it was going to net them return that could help them advance further. That hasn't happened. Uh, still having hope that they are going to do something once uh, this lockout is over to go out and you know, put together multiple pieces, consolidate, that's the word I'm looking for, to improve this roster. Time will tell, but uh, I still have hope for consolidation. I thought this piece was interesting from Painting Corners, Patrick Brennan. Uh, what's going to happen the rest of the week on the show? We are going to go start draft on tomorrow. I'm going to start at the back end of my list and work my way forward. We'll see how many shows it takes to get through my initial list of players. I don't remember the top of my head how many there are. Uh, I was looking at it recently, so I know it's like a weird amount. Like I went 34, 35 deep, something like that. So we'll start. I'll talk about guys and just start moving forward. Uh, I'm not going to try to dig as much into the statistics that I can't do top of my head. But uh, I feel like every player, I have done enough digging where I should be able to give you a reasonable explanation for why I have them ranked where they are. Uh, I've been Jeff Ellis. has been Locked on Indians podcast. Locked on Guardians podcast. Mm, that's going to happen from time to time still. Locked on Guardians podcast. And I thank you again for making your first listen today and every day on all podcasting platforms, apps, and the like. Go check out Locked on Browns. Uh, we got a Monday night game. Might as well go uh, see uh, what their take is after the good, the bad, the ugly of this one. Uh, again, I've been Jeff Ellis. I also want to thank, I saw we had a new review and we stayed in the top 100, uh, even though it was a weird release schedule with bad quality. So thank you to all the Lockdown Guardians listeners, Lockdown Guardians fam, Lockdown Guardians team. And as I say now, go, go Guardians, go.